Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do thank and praise you that you have loved us and you have come to us in the person of your Son to reconcile us to yourself, to make peace with us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, you will give us great wisdom that we may reflect uh, you and your character by being people who make peace in our own relationships. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, do you remember the uh, first principle in our peacemaking series from last week? It started with the letter G. Anybody remember? <laughs> it's on the outline. Don't look on the outline. <laughs> glorify God. People remember that? Good, good, good. Glorify God. So when we face conflict, we've got to get our thinking straight. When I face conflict, God doesn't just want me to escape, to avoid it. He doesn't necessarily want me to win the conflict. What God wants is firstly that I trust him, that I trust he's still in control, that I trust he's working in all things for my good. God wants me to trust him in a conflict situation, not run, not win, but trust him. More than trust him, God wants me to obey him, to obey him in a conflict situation. He wants me to not break his commands. He wants me to show grace and love to the other person. In conflict, we need to glorify God. Conflict is an opportunity for us to commend the gospel, to commend the, the, the peacemaking of God to others. That's our first principle, glorify God. Today we come to the second principle. Again, it starts with a G. Here it is. Get the log out of your own eye. So good, good, good. Get the log out of your own eye. Now, of course, the image comes um, from the teaching of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, and I've got this on your outline, and uh, should also start coming up. Thanks. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I was reading this with my kids this morning and asking them to explain it. And they said, it doesn't make any sense. How could you get a plank into your eye? It's, it's a metaphor. Okay, see if you can work out what the metaphor means. Uh, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay, it's a metaphor. Some people take the metaphor to mean that you can never tell other people about their faults. Okay, because we're all sinful, we can never tell other people about their sin. We can't judge people or rebuke people or correct people. If you look carefully, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. Is it? You look at the end of it there, he says, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And we can remove the speck from our brother's eye. We can lovingly correct. We can lovingly rebuke people. But can you see what Jesus is saying? We have to do something else first. Before we talk to others about their faults, what do we need to do? We need to face up to our own faults. So Jesus, he isn't speaking against correcting people. He's speaking against premature correction. He's speaking against hypocritical correction. So you're correcting the other person, but you're just as bad, or even worse. And usually, if I'm in a conflict, I think very carefully about what the other person has done. Okay? My child is being disobedient. That person didn't do what he said he would do for me. That person said the wrong thing. That, very good at thinking very carefully about what the other person is doing wrong. What this is saying, though, is that I need to stop. Before I engage in conflict, I need to hit the pause button. Before I approach the other person about what they've done, I need to think about myself. What have I done? What part have I played? How have I contributed to this conflict? 
That's the principle. Do you get it? Get the log out of your own eye. Now, this log, it could take a number of different shapes. Okay, different woods, different uh, um, whatever. The, the, the log in my eye could be my thinking. Something going on in my heart. The log in my eye could be the words that I've used that have exacerbated the conflict or prolonged the conflict or something like that. Or the, the log in my eye could be my, could be my actions, things that I've done. And so if I'm going to get the log out of my eye, if I'm going to get the plank out of my eye, I'm going to need to work out what it is. I'm going to need to reflect, therefore, on my thinking and my words and my actions. What about my thinking? The Bible says that our conflicts often start in our own hearts. They start from something going on that's being frustrated inside us. Have a look. James says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Desires that battle within you. Often when something makes me angry, it's because there's some kind of frustrated desire going on in me. Something that I want that I can't get. Let me give you an example. On Monday night this week, I was supervising two of my children in the bath. They were teasing each other and having a fight. I asked them to stop. They didn't. I asked them again. They didn't. On the sixth time, I exploded. I grabbed my son and I yelled at him to stop. Be gentle with your sister! <laughs> Something like that. All right. Uh, now... As I think about my children's role in this conflict, I feel thoroughly justified. Uh, the Bible says they should love each other. The, the Bible says that they shouldn't tease each other. The Bible says they should obey their father. First time, not sixth time. Yada, 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 yada. Uh, but, but what was going on in me? What was going on in my heart? I've thought about it, and I've realised that in me there's this desire to have a comfortable easy, peaceful, harmonious home life. I'm tired and grumpy after a day at work. I just want to have peace and quiet when I get home. That's not an ungodly desire. But on this occasion, it had become more than a desire. It had become a demand. I will have peace and quiet and harmony in my house. And, and I was demanding that my children fit in with me. You will give me peace and quiet and harmony in my house. In fact, it was getting even more than a demand. It led to my judging them. You're doing the wrong thing by not giving me my, my demand, by not worshipping my idol. More than judge, judging them, it led to me punishing them. I will punish you if you do not do what it takes for me to be satisfied and get what I want. But, but where in the Bible does it say that I deserve peace and quiet in my home? Where in the Bible does it say that I can force my children to fit in with my demand for a harmonious household? I've looked in vain. Can't find it. If you can find it, please tell me. <laughs> I can't find it anywhere. What the Bible does say to me is don't embitter your children. The Bible does say to me is don't discourage your children. What the Bible does say to me is be patient. What the Bible does say to me is be gentle. I'd let the desire in my heart for peace and quiet become like an idol that everyone else had to serve. It became an excuse for ungodliness. And so instead of patiently dealing with the wrong behaviour of my children, I took the shortcut, got angry, got my way by force. It's an interesting exercise to ask yourself in a conflict, what's bugging me here? What's, what's making me so angry? Why am I reacting in this way to this thing? 
Why am I getting into conflict over this? What is it about, about me, what's going on inside me, that makes this get to me in this way? It's funny, as, as you look into your heart, it can reveal all kinds of idolatry and ungodliness. We need to examine the log in our own hearts, in our own thinking. Of course, as we examine our hearts and thinking, we, we could see lots of other ways that we've contributed to a conflict as well, couldn't we? We might see some pretty, way, pretty bad ways that we're thinking about the other person or, or feeling about them. We might see bitterness in our hearts. We might see resentment in our hearts. We might see hatred in our hearts even. That's the first thing we need to reflect on. How has my thinking, my heart, contributed to this conflict? How is it exacerbating or prolonging the conflict when we face conflict, we've got to check our hearts for logs. But it's not just our hearts. We also need to examine our words and our behaviour. So maybe we've sinned with our words. We spoke recklessly. You know, um, drove off with the, with the tongue before we put brain into gear, something like that. We, we spoke recklessly or maybe we gossiped or maybe we slandered or, or grumbled or, or told lies or half-truths, something like that. Maybe our words have contributed to this conflict. Maybe our actions have contributed to the conflict. Maybe we exploited the other person. Maybe we didn't do what we promised we'd do, or we disregarded someone's authority, or we didn't treat them the way we'd want them to treat us. Maybe it was our actions. Maybe we sinned by our inaction. We, we didn't do what we should have done. It's not often that a conflict is purely one-sided, is it? Sure, it does happen. It's possible to be completely innocent and sinned against. But, well, certainly in most of my day-to-day -day conflicts, I've played my part, and I suspect you're the same. And maybe we're most to blame. Maybe the other person is most to blame. Now, generally speaking, if someone's telling me about a conflict they're in, they're about 40% to blame, and the other person's about 60% to blame. It seems to be the usual rule for most people. But that's not really the issue here. The issue at this point is, what have I done? What's my contribution? How have I caused, escalated, prolonged this conflict? We need to work out our part and we need to repent of it. We need to change our mind, change our thinking, change our words, change our behaviour. We need to commit ourselves to improve in future. Do you get this first point? Fairly simple one. If we're going to get the log, the plank out of our own eye, we need to know what it is. We need to identify it. Okay, is it western red cedar or is it treated pine? you've got to actually know what it is and so we've got to work out think, think, through, think through our own thinking and words and behaviour okay, that leads to our second point uh, once, we've, once we've thought through our part once we've got the log out of our own eye we've then got a choice to make we've got a choice to make we can overlook the offence we can just let it go let it go through to the keeper to use a cricket, cricketing image, just let it pass. Or, or else we can engage, we can enter into the conflict. Overlook or engage? Okay, let's think for a little while about overlooking. A couple of questions to ask. First, when? When do we overlook? How do you know when to just let it go and, and, and don't bother fighting about it? So let, let me quote from the book The Peacemaker and uh, from this author, Ken Sand. To truly overlook an offence means to deliberately decide not to talk about it, dwell on it, or let it grow into pent-up bitterness. Do you see what, see what it means there? Okay, it's not denying that it ever happened. You acknowledge that it happened. You acknowledge something's gone on. They've done something. You've done something. But you deliberately decide that you're not going to talk about it, dwell on it, 
or let it grow into pent-up bitterness. So when do you do that? Well, if you cannot let go of an offence in this way, if it's too serious to overlook or if it continues as part of a pattern in the other person's life, then you will need to go and talk to the other person about it in a loving and constructive manner. That's basically it. You overlook it. If you can overlook it, if you can genuinely overlook it, if you can honestly let it go without bitterness, without gossip. Now, as we're thinking about it, as we're deciding, should I overlook, the thing that we need to do, we need to count the cost. We need to ask ourselves, is it worth fighting over? Is it worth fighting over? Now, if it's something small, it might be pretty easy to overlook. Um, Your husband makes a snide comment, you feel a bit hurt. You know he's having a tough time at work. It's not worth the fight, so you just let it go. Uh, your friend says something wrong, but you know they're a good friend, and you know they're having a tough time. You just, just it's no big deal. Let it go. So you can certainly do it with small things, but it can apply to more serious issues as well. You can overlook more serious issues as well. What you've got to do is count the cost. And Ken Sand gives a very good example. Let me quote. I was asked to help four partners divide the assets of a business. One of the men wanted much more than the other three were willing to give him. For several weeks, the other partners had firmly refused to concede to his demands. When I met with those three and asked them why they wouldn't settle, they said, it isn't just the money, it's the principle of the matter. In response, I asked, how much is this principle costing you? How much time has already been taken away from your business and how much more time will a lawsuit consume? More importantly, what what effect has this conflict had on you personally and on your families? There was a long pause, and then one of the partners pulled out his calculator. It's obviously an accounting firm. Um, After a few keystrokes, he said, I'd say we've already devoted $5,000 of our time to this, and a lawsuit could easily cost us 10 times that amount. Another partner admitted that he hadn't been sleeping well because of the tensions created by the conflict. He also conceded that his critical attitude had created problems with his wife and children. The third partner agreed. When these men added up the real cost of their dispute and compared it to the cost of settling the matter, they saw that the wisest thing to do was to settle the matter as quickly as possible. Although it was difficult for them to do at the time, one of them later told me that within two weeks of the settlement he was completely free of the matter. When I look back, he said, I have a hard time understanding why we didn't settle it much earlier It sure wasn't worth all that fighting. When do you overlook? When you can overlook, whether that's because it's easy to overlook or when you've counted the cost and and you think it's the best way forward. Okay, if we know when we should overlook an offence, the next question is how? How can we overlook an offence? I mean, someone's offended us and, and it's the principle of the matter i.e. read, my pride has been hurt. All right? It's not always easy to do to overlook something. I've just got three ideas that might help us to overlook offences. So first, if we have got the log out of our own eye, if we've identified the log in our own eye, that should help us. If we've seriously thought through our contribution, if we've taken a good look at ourselves, we'll probably understand better why the person did what they did. We can um, put ourselves in their shoes more easily. That can help us understand really what you were doing and and overlook it. Second, as Christians, uh, we need to remember how God has forgiven us. God has forgiven us far more than we will ever have to forgive another person. When, When we see what that person did in the context of what God has done for us, again, 
it can be very helpful to us and help us to overlook, forgive and forget. Uh, then third, it's good, good to keep the bigger picture in mind. So maybe, for example, um, your mum has said something to you that made you mad, okay, but you know that she's had a very tough time with your brother and sister, not with you, of course, um, and you know that the reality is she's a good mum, she does feed you each day and she does clothe you and pay for your schooling and uh, all the other stuff. So she does so much for you. Maybe if you think about the bigger picture, the fact that she nagged you to clean your room, you can just overlook that, all right? Do you know what I mean? Okay, so three principles. Firstly, if you've got the log out of your own eye, that should help. Secondly, if you understand, you remember what Jesus has done, that should help. And thirdly, if you get the bigger picture of the relationship, you just be able to see it in context, help you just to forget about it. Overlooking. It's a genuine option. Often it's a godly option. The Bible says, A man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offence. Okay, so where have we been so far? Firstly, what we're going to do is identify the, the plank in our own eye, recognise what that log is, check through our thinking, our words and behaviour. Once we've identified what we've done wrong and repented of it, next step is we've got to make our decision. Do I overlook? Or... Do I engage in conflict? Because, of course, overlooking is not always the best thing to do, is it? Uh, it's not always possible to do. Maybe the offence has caused a serious division between you. Maybe the offence is causing harm to other people. Maybe the offence is causing harm to the offender. It's, it's hurting them to, to not have this dealt with. Maybe the offence is bringing the gospel into disrepute. Whatever the reason, sometimes even after we've examined our own contribution, we, we do need to engage. We need to enter into conflict. So... What do we do then? What do we do then? Answer. First thing we should do is confess our role in the conflict. We come to the table with our plank in hand, so to speak. That's the one we pulled out of our eye, not one we're going to hit them over the head with. Okay? So we, we, we admit the things that we've discovered about the part we played. We, we confess the sins of our hearts and tongues and actions. We come to the table plank in hand. I reckon that's genius. Don't you? That's just revolutionary. You don't go in boots and all with all the things the other person's done wrong. You come in with what you acknowledge about what you've done wrong. I reckon if we did that, we'd put all the lawyers out of business, but other than that, it'd be a really good thing to do because it'd be excellent for our conflicts. Right? So this book has got some great ideas about how you, how you do it, how you present your plank, so to speak, how you confess your sin, how you confess your contribution to a conflict. Um, now, we don't have time to go into it in, in a great de- in, into a whole heap, heap of detail, but he boils it down to seven A's, and I've given them to you on your outline. Can you see them? So right-hand side down the bottom here. Just let me run you through them quickly. Seven things that we need to keep in mind as we confess our role in a conflict. So firstly, address everyone involved. He loves to do everything with the same, with the same letter, doesn't he? Um, address everyone involved. Okay? If you sin just against the person, you admit it to the person. But if your sin involved other people, you've got to admit it to them as well. You address everyone involved. Second, you avoid if, but, and maybe. So... I'm sorry if I hurt you. That's not a real apology. Okay? If you hurt them, apologise. If you didn't hurt them, don't apologise. None of this I'm sorry if I hurt you stuff. Or, or the but one is a good one. I'm sorry um, that I hurt you, but you kept, didn't keep your promise. and you didn't. Oh, That's not an apology either. 
Okay? You, you, you take responsibility for what you've done and you apologise for it. Uh, maybe. Maybe I shouldn't have done that is not a real apology. Okay? If you shouldn't have done it, apologise. If you should have done it, don't apologise. Right? Avoid if, but and maybe. Third one there, admit specifically. Okay? Not just, oh yeah, I'm sorry, I did the wrong thing or something like that. Okay? If you have done the hard yards of identifying the log in your own eye, admit it specifically. Admit the sins of your heart. Admit the sins of your words. Admit the sins of your action. Specifically, name them. Next one, acknowledge the hurt. I'm, I'm really sorry that I hurt you. Uh, if that had been done to me, I would have been really angry. I'm sorry that I did it to you. Something on those kinds of lines. Next one, accept the consequences. If you broke it, fix it. If you lost it, find it. If you didn't do what you should have, do, should have done, do it now. Accept the consequences. A sixth one, alter your behaviour. If you're fair income, sorry about it, you should be trying not to do it again. Okay, alter your behaviour. And then seventh, ask for forgiveness and also allow time. Maybe they're not ready to forgive yet, give them space. It can be a real manipulative thing, can't it? Um, oh, will you forgive me, please? And uh, if you don't forgive me, I've put it in your court and you should feel guilty about not forgiving me because you're not being godly or something like that. All right? That can be quite a manipulative thing. It's good to ask for forgiveness, but you've got to give space, genuine space for people to um, acknowledge their hurt, work it through. Okay, can you see seven A's of confession? Sorry if that's a little bit complicated, but the point is simple. When we come into a conflict, we come acknowledging the part that we've played. We come having taken the plank out of our own eye. We admit the plank to the other person. We come plank in hand. Now again, I guess it's possible that we played no part in the conflict. We were purely sinned against. Even then, I reckon, with a little bit of discernment, we can see some stuff that we need to admit. We could admit perhaps our bitterness or our gossip or, or whatever. Friends, here's what Jesus is saying to us. Start with you. Admit your part. First, get the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to get the speck out of your brother's eye. This is the word of the Lord Jesus Christ to us, but, but it's not just a Bible rule. This is a great idea, isn't it? But let's face it. If we went into all our disputes like this, we would have much better results, wouldn't we? If you came in admitting, acknowledging, confessing, the vast majority of the time the other person would be very quick to just go, oh yeah, of course, and resolve it with you, wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? Yeah. Ken Sand calls it the principle of the golden result. Let me quote. The golden result is a corollary of the golden rule which calls us to do to others as we would have them do to us. The golden result says that people will usually treat us as we treat them. If we blame others for a problem, they will usually blame in return. But if we say, I was wrong, it is amazing how often the response will be, it was my fault too. I've seen this result in hundreds of cases over the past 21 years. Whether the dispute involves a personal quarrel, divorce lawsuit or church division, people generally treat one another as they are being treated. When one person attacks and accuses, so does the other. And when God moves one person to start getting the log out of his or her own eye, it is rare that the other side fails to do the same. Okay, let me summarise. We're facing a conflict. Step one, 
Think through what is my part in the conflict. Identify it. Step two, make my decision. Will I overlook? Will I engage? If I do engage, step three, I begin the engagement by acknowledging my part. I come plank in hand. As Jesus said, first get the plank out of your own eye. Get the point? Okay, I want to finish with what I think is quite a touching story uh, from the book which illustrates this principle in action. At last he had his chance. Clutching his prepared statement in hand, Mark sat down in the front pew, ready to get even with the elders. Six months ago, they had refused to support his promotion to senior pastor. They had stood silently by when Mark was slandered in a congregational meeting. Worst of all, some of them had repeatedly talked about him behind his back, voicing their doubts about his ability to fill the shoes of their retiring pastor. Tension had escalated for months, engulfing and dividing the whole church. Finally, conciliators from peacemakers were called in. They talked about the principle, the concept of acknowledging our own contributions to conflict, of getting the log out of our own eye. Now, the elders were going to make a corporate confession of their wrongs to the congregation. But their statement didn't go as far as Mark thought it should, so he planned to elaborate publicly on their sins against him. The head elder began. He read from a prepared statement. He acknowledged several ways the elders had wronged Mark. Then he looked straight at Mark and said, We have sinned against you and caused you great pain. We are so very sorry. It was clear from the tears in his eyes and the emotion in his voice that he was speaking from the heart. Then a second elder stood, confessed his own sins and asked for forgiveness. Before long, seven of the nine elders had come forward and added their personal confessions to the statement that had been read. Mark was battling with his thoughts. He was still angry and hurt. Mark's feet felt like they were made of lead as he rose and walked to the microphone. The war in his heart was building to a climax. He, he could hold on to his anger and try to get even with the elders for the pain they had caused him. Or he could find freedom and peace by forgiving them and confessing his own wrongs. With growing emotion, he realised he could not do both. Help me, God, he silently prayed. Suddenly his fingers opened. His notes fell to the floor. Turning to the elders, he spoke words that he had never expected to say that night. I am actually the guiltiest person of all. As associate pastor, I should have set an example of humility and submission. I should have trusted God to work through the elders and the congregation to select the next senior pastor of this church. Instead, I let my desire for this position control me, so I took matters into my own hands. I exalted myself and became defensive when people raised honest concerns about my abilities. I became angry that people were talking about me behind my back, but then I did exactly the same thing. Instead of going to talk with those who had spoken against me, I avoided them and wallowed in resentment. Even when some people ask my forgiveness, I refuse to give it. I have failed miserably as your pastor. I ask God for his forgiveness, and I hope that he will give you grace to forgive me too. With much weeping, the elders rose as one to embrace Mark. Now, before long, numerous members of the congregation were on their feet coming to the microphone, each one confessing their own sin, slander, divisiveness and hardness of heart. 
After 45 minutes of confession, quietness fell over the congregation. One of the conciliators closed the meeting with prayer. When he had finished, he suggested that people turn around and greet one another with the exhilarating truth. The Lord has forgiven all your sins. People shared this good news with each other and hugged and talked for so long that the conciliators finally made a quiet exit. They knew that these people were in good hands, God's hands. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank and praise you because you have loved us and mercifully made peace with us. We pray that you would help us to be very insightful into ourselves, that we may be people who can take the plank out of our own eye and that we may be people who can be wise and godly peacemakers and so commend the good news of Christ who has brought us peace. And we pray it in his name. Amen.